Hey everyone, before we kick this episode off, I urge everyone listening to like and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you may get your podcast from. So if you listen to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating, or also subscribe to us on Spotify. And I urge all of our listeners to head to our website, and you can get more than just our podcast from there. We have news stories all the time there, we have feature articles there, so head to tnpmedia.au, that's tnpmedia.au. Alright, without further ado, we'll get stuck into the podcast. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Okay, well, we hope you enjoyed part one of the Craig Marsland podcast last week. Here's part two. It's equally exciting and uh, some great stories here as well. So thanks for tuning in. Here's part two of the podcast with Craig Marsland. Talk us through then the car that you own today now. Um, that was originally owned by New Zealander Doug Jack. Uh, he moved to Australia in the early 70s. Or yes. WA, correct me yep. if I'm yes. yes. Yep. Um, now, that this, this car you own now, that's a genuine Dickie dog. That's a Group C car. Group C that car. One, yep, yep. That was campaigning Group C. Yep. Um, talk us through that car then. Like, I mean... Back in the day, I don't think there was much value in Group C cars. Like once they got to, Nothing. once they got to sort of what was it, eighty seven, wasn't it? The, yeah. the, when they started, they went rating. from uh, seventy three to the end of eighty four. Was 84, the Group C era? Yeah, and Group A started in eighty five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talk us through that um, that this car that you that you yeah. now own now. Okay, well. Uh, I met Doug when I was running my first Charger, the old brown, poo brown as I called it, XL Charger at Wanneroo, and Doug rocked up as a scrutineering bay. I can see him to this day. He was a blonde, long blonde hair, surfy looking dude and had this big black felt cowboy hat on. And uh, I, I'm getting my race car scrutineered and Doug's there chatting away to me and, and uh, we got talking, oh, I've got a six pack hot mustard car. and. It was parked outside, so everyone parked in the pits in those days. That's when they were on top of the hill. Went out, and here's this hot mustard, big tank E38, and, and it was fairly new. Doug, it was only about a year old when Doug bought it. And it was his everyday drive car up in Kalgoorlie. Because Kalgoorlie was pretty big on performance cars, V8s and Tiranas. No, as, they were everywhere in the time. Anyhow, Doug had this car, saw me racing, and he was a bit of a petrol head, loved his motorsport coming from New Zealand. There must be something in the water in New Zealand with all these good yeah. drivers. We've said yeah. that a few yeah. times lately, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, so anyway, Doug rocks up, and um, he got all enthused, and he was working and living in Kalgoorlie at the time. Went home, it was like 775 I was running that car, went home, moved to Perth, pulled his car off the road and turned it into a race car and started racing it in 1976 yep. and logbooked as a Group C car so as they could run with the Ian Dippins and it's run against Moffat and Brock and various cars back in the day now when the Group C guys came over they all ran mm. together yep. he was just a club racer having a go as an also ran no great claim to fame just had a go yeah yep 
So you've, this is the car you have now you've, that you've, you've restored. Talk us through the restoration of this car because back in the day there was a lot of WA people that worked on the car. You managed to get a lot of the same people to work on the car again, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, well, Doug was running it in 76 and as a E38, three-speed, yep. 77 upgraded it to an E49 specs for the four-speed. Ran it for the two years and then that was about it. Work got married, family, business, all that took over. So the car got parked for a few years and then he actually bought my old sports sedan in 82 when I bought the different car. He bought my six pack and ran that, painted up similar colours in his gold and white theme that he, he's always had. And he ran that and the charge, the first charge became surplus to requirements. He threw a V8 into it, experimenting for a little while but never raced it. Mm. And, uh, and the remnants of that motor is what's in his car today. Yep. And and the carvies, the downdraft quad carvies are what came off Diffin's car. Okay. And it all came about because we all used Terry LeMay as our mechanic. So he did my engines and I probably introduced Doug to Terry. He had the touring car, so he got a lot of the old touring car bits off Diffin's car, torsion bars, brakes, um, whatever else mm. ended up on Doug's car. And but when he finished with it, bought my car, didn't need two charges, so it got sort of broken up. A lot of the parts got sold off it. Um, it was sold to a, a, a young fellow who was going to put it on the road. They pulled all the panels off it, sandblasted it, and I, I believe the panel beater at the time didn't do the right thing. And um, I don't know the full story, but it ended up being sold as a stripped rolling shell. Yeah, okay, and I bought it. Oh, a few years later, um, 22, 23 years ago now, I wanted another car for the road. I just wanted something to drive. And I rang up off an ad in the Sunday Times for an E49. Rang the bloke up in Calamunda and he says, I've just sold it. I'm just doing the paperwork with the bloke now. But give us your name and number and I might know where another one is. So as he's writing my name down, he's calling it out, Craig Marsland. And, and this bloke who was there says, hey, I want to talk to him. How's <laughs> <laughs> that? <laughs> And he gets on the phone on the phone to me and um, he says, I've got your old race car. And I said, no, my old race car doesn't exist. He said, no, no, I've got it. And I said, I knew Doug had chopped my car up years later. It was worn yeah. out. I said, I'll come and have a look. So I go around and have a look at this car that he's got. And here's this very sad shell. No rear quarters on it, no hanging panels. Just sandblasted with a bit of greeny-coloured chromate paint and looking very ordinary. Wow. And, uh, and there's a set of extractors sitting inside it, six-pack ones, and the collectors had been modified on them. And I saw them and I thought, I did that. They're my old pipes. And then I, the penny dropped. This could be Doug's car, because Doug used to mix and match between the two cars. And he had a bonnet there, was painted gold and white, and I was starting to put two and two together. I looked further, still had the big fat torsion bars in, which they had made for Diffin's car. And torsion bars are normally left and right-handed. Mm. But when they had made over east, they didn't realise that, and they were both, let's say, left-handed ones. Yeah. So if you look at the adjuster on Doug's car today, where they are today, one's up and one's down. Right. They still work yeah. the same. Mm. So that was in there and had racing brake rotors and things. And So I decided it was Doug's car, and it was clean. It was no rust, because it's been in the shed all this time. Yeah. So we did a deal. They were worth nothing, but all the main components were gone. Mm. And uh, so we did a deal with it, and I thought, over time, I can put it all back together and yeah. have a nice six-pack road car. So I then we cut out 
all the linkages and stuff underneath for what's linkages. Um, the inner rear guards we'd changed because they'd all been rolled and belted out to fit big wheels under them. So I put everything back to standard, had it all panel beaded, two brand new rear quarters put on, which the panel beater at the time did a lousy job on, but <laughs> they're on and they're fine now, but that took yeah. a lot of remedial work. Anyway, I put it all back to standard, and I just finished doing that and had it on the rotisserie, and then the Heritage Touring Cars started over east around about 2000, and that was for Group C cars. Yeah. And Doug knew I had the car, because mates had been mates right through, and... Uh, and he said, I've still got the logbook for it. Sure enough, and it was a Group C logbook. And I knew it was a Group C. Because when I bought it, I got the numbers off the car because the compliance plate was still on it. I went to Cam's to make sure it was Doug's car. A young fellow dragged out, photocopied all the applications over time. It was all there, Group C. And wow. I thought, there's the proof. So anyway, I thought, oh, a little bit of WA history here. And there's no... Group C surviving historic cars left. Mm. We know where two are. I know where the Grace Brothers uh, Pete Gagan car is. It's in pieces, but it's with a collector. And the other one is the um, Brian Ovenden Charger hot mustard car, which is restored. It's all signed, written up. It's road registered in Victoria. And the uh, fellow who's got that, that it was also ended up a Group C car yeah, as okay. well. But yeah. they, they're the only two that we. No, there's a few more around, but no, nothing special. Yeah, talk about a sliding doors moment. That's that's a that's oh, a man. that's a yeah. prime example. Yeah. Had you not made that phone call at that moment, mm. oh. probably would never. Oh. Would, the car would be the car would have been chopped up, and was it was it was virtually wrecked. No, it had been parted out. So what was the intention of the guy that who? The, the guy who was going to buy it, like, what was his intention? Oh, he was a wheeler dealer. He he was he was, oh, he was buying it. six packs and pulling them apart and selling them off because he got more money for them. Oh, They're worth nothing. Yeah. I had a big tank E38 in 1985, and it was again another old race car, but never quite found its race in history. But it was a big tank E30. Oh, pardon me, E38, and I bought it in pieces. And that was another link. It had a, a drag racer had it, um, Ross Wineoff, mm -hmm. um, raced back in the day, and it was his car. And Ro Ross got sick of it, and he rang me up one day. He says, "Want to buy a Charger, do you?" And didn't want a lot of money for it. It was in pieces. He painted it, but just lost interest. So yep. I think I paid him a thousand dollars for it and took it home. And over time, built the engine up, and it had all the correct gear in it. And I ran round it as my everyday car for a year or two, and and then. I can't remember. Might have been. I can't remember why. Anyway, I sold it. Sat in Laurie Matthews' car yard for six months in about '85 or '86 or thereabouts, and we could not get seven grand for it. Wow! And uh, yeah. and it was a nice car. It was, yeah. Um, the Hemi Orange and all very original. And again, no rust. It was, it was been in the shed. It hadn't been been on the racetrack and been on the road only a short time. Mm, yeah. And, uh, so anyway. Um, but once we knew its identity and the historic thing started, and I thought, oh, just well, that's what that, well, that's what I mean, leads me to where we were like maybe half an hour ago. Oh. But the Motorsport Australia cams back in the mm. day when you did it, but Motorsport Australia certificate of description, I think it's called, yes. coupled with a historic logbook. Tell us how important that is, because like, it probably means nothing to the average punter, but how important... Oh, well, some categories of racing, the previous categories, which are known as Group NB, NC, was up to 1972. Mm. Now, the there are some genuine original cars, but you can build a replica and whatever. 
and again people do try and pass off replicas as the car that yeah. you know, Peter Brock had everyone's got a Peter Brock XC1 around the place or Peter had it and then so you know, it's, 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 they realised they had to get a bit tougher on their identity yeah. stuff so yeah. I don't know when it was introduced but they bought out a certificate of description for historic cars more so the open wheelers and things which are very very valuable some yeah. of them yeah. so it was a way of policing it and you had to prove their identities so when the Group C cars started, they wanted it. They wanted to bring back the Bathurst cars, now the Tiranas and the two-door Falcons, and just that muscle car era. Mm. And they had to be the real deal. Yep. So that's the rules for the heritage cars. If you want to race in heritage touring cars, they have to be the real deal. You have to prove they're the real deal. Numbers of the cars, the sequence of owners. You've got to have photographs. Um, magazine reports, uh, race results. It all has to be documented and proven. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. So it took me about two, three years to go through the process because Doug's car was just a club racer, not a lot of publicity at the time. My younger brother was an amateur photographer and he'd been up there taking snapshots of the cars. We had no, virtually nothing. Doug had two or three historic shots of the car. Brother Luke's up there took photos in the S's the day Moffat and Brock were here and it would have been, a, it must have been 77 and bugger me and he's just got shots as the car were coming, cars are coming towards him, there's Moffat, there's Brock, here's Doug Jack and and then I'm driving Greg Migros two-door Falcon and there's one of the shots um, you can just see there's Graham Hooley in his XU1. Wayne Negus is in the L34, the Holden dealer team car. Yeah. Doug Jack's behind him, and you can just see the front corner of the Falcon coming up behind. Yeah, okay. And I thought there were all, all of us, Doug, me, the cars, were all on the track at the time. How awesome is that, eh? Yeah. Like looking back through history yeah. and finding that sort but, of... But because I was there, I've been involved all the way through, yeah. and I recognised the cars. I knew them as part of that yeah. was my scene. Yeah, yeah. A lot of history. How's it been on the track with Moffat? I oh, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mixing it amongst those guys, yeah. and, and they were our idols of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to know a lot of them uh, over the time. And I've spoken to um, both Moffat and Brock in years gone by. And yeah. and uh, and over east, this last trip I had over there, I met a lot of famous drivers then. Yeah. And Kevin Bartlett, I've renewed acquaintances with him years later. And you know what? They're the same as you, me, and everyone else. We're just a bunch of petrol heads and yeah, love our yeah. cars. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, look, there's a few Hollywooders out there, the wallet racers, and they're all better than what we are, but yeah, <laughs> go for it, mate. Good luck to them, we say. <laughs> yeah. Craig, I want to talk about, we'll get back to sports sedan. Um, what was the, what do you think was the, the popularity of sports sedan was, was huge back, back, back in those days? How do we how do we invigorate that category again and get it back to where it needs to be? In my view, because I th really think it's um, a, an untapped source of motorsport. I don't know if we fragmented motor sedan racing in Australia too much. Oh, hugely. No, it was back in the days when I was on the committee at Wanneroo, we were all always very conscious of having too many different uh, groups and that's what's happened street cars evolved into the street cars of today are nothing like they sure could be there yep. and there's a few of them and there's all these different little categories and they've got half a dozen cars in each and 
that's a disaster, my personal opinion. Mm, yep. That's not what it should be. But so here in WA, there's no, apart from Basil Riccadello's car, which is still a state-of-the-art car, and won multiple championships with Brian Smith and his son Tony, and, that, mm. and that's still a very competitive car. But on the East Coast, the sports lands are up and running again. They've been building over the last few years, yep. and they've now, they're running, they're going to get a little bit of TV publicity this year at some of the lesser events. I think they're running at the Indy 500 up in the Gold Coast mm -hmm. and a few others around. But when I was over in Sydney last June, July, I went to one of their meetings and they are state-of-the-art cars. They're yep. the latest versions of the McCormicks and the Diffins and all those things. They're space-framed. The supercars of today really are sports at hands. Yeah, End yeah, of story. Yeah, that's true. But they, yep. they saw what the recipe was for sports at hands and it got hijacked along the way and mm, yeah. supercars are yep. sports sedans but they have their limitations mm. the real sports sedans with all their independent rear ends and the homemade build it in your back shed even though they're very highly strung cars today there's a big field now of state-of-the-art sports sedans that are incredibly fast yeah and they're quicker than the supercars and oh, you got to go and see them. They're, they're yeah. the they're the, the ball terrors of today. I love them, eh? I mean, yeah. Yeah, but they've been oh. they've been fast at the supercars yeah. for a long time. I mean, yeah. The rules have opened up now. They're virtually fiberglass bodies, flopped over, whatever. They still have to look like the real deal. But yeah. Over in Sydney, um, uh, what's his name? Heimgartner. He drives Andre. Andre. Uh, yeah. Andre. He was driving this Aston Martin car. It's mm. just a shell, and it's even bigger than the standard Aston yeah. Martin, but yep. you would never know. And I, I was just looking at it. Oh, it's just so technical. Mm. And there was any number of them there, the yeah. same. Yeah. And so, yes, and uh, hopefully it will... Those big dollar cars, we always only ever see a handful in WA. Mm. It's not the resources, they're not the population here. That's why the Ian Diffins of the world and various other ones over time have always gone east to race. Yeah, We'll see yep. them on occasion, same with Basil Riccadello. Don't see him very much because mm. there's not enough here to make a big field of those sorts of cars. Yeah, yep. Great to see, but in a way, they cruel it for the club racer where we had 40 cars, maximum fields back in my day, mm -hmm. where most of the cars were sort of like mine. Now, we'd all just a bunch of guys putting them together, chuck a V8 in an Escort or whatever, Yep. Build it yourself, have fun. But the wallet races come along, and which is what Ian Diffin did. He built the biggest and the best at the time. Everyone else tries to keep up, and then all of a sudden, why bother? Yeah, we're never going to beat them. Yeah, and that was me. I had to try and think of other ways of building a competitive car. The Jaguar I built, I built to go and compete in the national championships. Everyone was running a Chev V8 350 Chev. That was the quickest and cheapest way to get horsepower at the mm. time. But then it was $25,000 for a 500-plus horsepower Chev. Yeah. And then plus, plus, plus. I didn't have that sort of money. Yeah, yeah. So I did my homework. Phil Myers built a Speedway XJS Jaguar with a V12, and I'd help with the building of it. And, and I'd always fascinated with what McCormick did with his, and that car never, ever showed its full potential. There's... John had a bad road accident and that was the end of his driving career. Mm -hmm. Mark has since developed it and won a lot with it. Yeah. So I copied what was there and then I changed things and I sort of studied the mechanicals and space frames and I'm a backyarder but I've done a bit of reading and yeah. whatever. And I built 
the, what I thought was a state-of-the-art sports team, and it yeah. was. Yeah. But it never got to prove itself. And a real big compliment was paid to me last year when I was over at Mark's workshop up in Queensland. He's got the McCormick Jaguar being restored. He built another one in later years, which he's restored, which is an even bigger beast again. And he said, come out and look at this. And I knew he had my old car or what was left of it. And up on the shelf, there's my chassis sitting up there. Oh, wow. And, and he said, when John McCormick saw it, it was their great mates. John had a real good look at it. And John's an e- a racing car engineer. Yeah. And he looked at, looked at Mark. He said, that would make a really good Can-Am-type sports car chassis. And wow. for, for John McCormick to say yeah. about my design... And I was, I was chuffed. Yeah, no, no that's... No. And Marcus actually has a Matic SR3 body, an old Can-Am type body from back yep. in the 70s. And oh, it was a long... Anyway, he's got this car. It was never been built. It was a spare body. He says it probably will never happen, but he said that body would fit perfectly onto that chassis. They'd uh, rearrange it, but it's all there. No, the, the space frame is how it should be someone should try and make that happen (laughs) (laughs) wallet yeah Uh, yeah. but the thing is it's not modern technology now it it was was, I built it 35 40 years ago 87 yeah so it would have been good then by today look you can always but no you wouldn't but you could go and build a replica old car with it Mm. but it's not going to fit you won't be able to race it in a lot of places because it's not a genuine one yeah yeah so who knows someone might buy it and turn it into a sports sedan you could still turn it into a sports sedan okay that's interesting we hope you're liking this podcast if you are head to our itunes or spotify um, podcast channel and like and subscribe to us there also head to our website tmpmedia.au you can get all of our episodes every single one we've ever recorded from our website there as well there's also a heap of youtube content so head to our youtube channel and subscribe to us there that's talking power wherever you get us make sure you like and subscribe us there uh we can really do with the uh, subs thanks everyone now back to the second half of the podcast I know you travelled a, a little bit, not a lot, but you did travel a little bit in, in sports sedan. Talk us through that, like travelling in Australia, what it was like back then. Because like, it's, it's not like now where you roll up in a you know, B-double and, you oh. know. <laughs> Talk us like, through that, the 80s my, there. My tow car, like we went to Adelaide in 1980. It was my first trip away. Dick Ward, who was doing a bit of racing on the East Coast with his little Fiat at the time, and we got to know a lot of the races and that. And we thought, it's time we got all the club races together and do something for us. Forget about the top echelon. So we came up with this idea between Dick and whoever that we should go to Adelaide and go and race against the boys there and then they can come over here and we'll call it Twin State Challenge. And somewhere along the Victorians came along as well. So I remember um, uh, Barry... Uh, Gary Rogers. Oh, Gary Rogers. Uh, Gary Rogers. Yeah. He was running a Tirana hatchback at the time. Yes. He was there, and a few other hotshots from Victoria came up to spoil the party, but it was all good. Anyway, 1980, we all trundled off to Adelaide, and we had a big fundraising thing for 12 months beforehand because we had to take about 10 cars over. Yeah. So we had men, gentlemen's nights. Wasn't too much gentlemanly about it, but <laughs> we've, uh, we've all been there, done that. A couple of beers and a, a couple of wobblers in. Yeah, <laughs> anything to make a dollar. A couple of illegal chocolate wheels and card games and 
but it was all in good fun. And I can remember back in the day, the police, it was always in an industrial area, and the police used to patrol the areas at night, Osborne Park, and, uh, and because there are any number of racing people in there, and quite often their copy spots for their supper time was usually at someone's workshop. Mm. Performance modifications, Brian Sadler, we'd be there working on the sprint cars at night, and the coppers would call in, how you going, boys? We had a workshop in Guthrie Street in an old pickle factory, and uh, there were four of us in there with... My me and my charges, the Ian, um, Ian Diffin's Tirana ended up with Mike Bignall, so Steve Coyle ended up spannering that in there, and we had a couple of open wheelers, and from the outside it was a derelict building, no one knew what was in there. Yeah. And, yeah, and of course these cars had to be tested, didn't they? So we're in Guthrie Street, and at midnight on whatever night of the week it was, we'd fire, it'd be nothing to have a sprint car go around the block or one of these full-blown sports vans, open exhausts. No one lived there, but yeah. one person up the road. The minute he'd heard the cars fire up, he'd ring the cops. He was just a pain in the bum. Anyway, so the cops had come down and they'd put their siren on and blow their fla- do their flashing lights past his house and they'd call in and they'd leave the cars out the front of the workshop and uh, they'd come in, supper time, boys, they got their coffees and burgers and... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this guy used to complain about anything and everything, and they hated him. Yeah, yeah. So he was happy because the cops were there, and we'd already done our test run by the time we got there. <laughs> <laughs> so things we did. But, um, so, yeah, but getting back to how we, we raised money to hire a car transporter. Mm. So we had uh, three, four, seven, I think it was eight cars. Oh, wow, almost. okay. Yeah, it was a proper double-decker yep. thing. It was TNT Transport in the day. I can yep. still see it today. Down at Gogi's building in O'Malley Street at the time, we loaded them all up. And on that trailer, we had Bob Biltoff's car. There was That was a Lexi 1 Tirana. Um, Mike Barnes used to drive it. Um, there was Gordon Mitchell's car, the Cicchelli Alfa mm-hmm. Romeo. Um, there was a little Cortina that Jeff Minney drove, and that was a famous little GT Cortina that had gone through the hands. Uh, there was my car in the middle. Peter Henderson had a little XG1. Joe Ricardo had his little GTA Alpha there. Um, we were all the local boys. How and we loaded that? this truck up. <laughs> and then we look at that truck. Oh, no. I've got photos of it there oh, somewhere. That, that yeah, yeah, all loaded up and some good names on there. And, uh, and then we had to get all the crews over. So we, we just filled our cars with spare wheels, toolboxes, everything went into the race car. And whatever didn't fit in there didn't go. So anyway, loaded them all up, and then we had to get everyone over there. So we included in the fundraising, we had to get a 40-seat parlor cars tourist coach. And parlor cars came on board as sort of like sponsors and get a good deal. So we filled it up with drivers first, pit crews, and then whatever was left we were able to sell off to supporters. So the bus was packed, and uh, we had 40 the races, the pit crews, a few husbands and wives, not t- too many girls, but there were a few there. And the girls became boys for that week because you can imagine <laughs> the <laughs> 40 of <laughs> on the same bus. <laughs> and it was great. Now we all non stop there on the bus. Now it was all done to, anyway, we got there, we stayed. Um, oh, I think some stayed in motels and whatever budget accommodation. Yeah. One of my pit crew. Uh, was from Adelaide and he had a cousin over there. He was just a young bloke. Had this old house in St Peter's and I think we had 
four or five of us we took our sleeping bags and all just slept on his lounge room floor yep. and um, bummed a car off. I was sponsored by a Chrysler dealer over there, bummed a car off him as for transport for the week and away we went. So that was the first, that was 1980 yep. and um, that was on the old Adelaide International Raceway yeah. circuit. So we did that and then two months later um, all of the South Australian boys came over to WA and I won the series. Oh wow! Uh, awesome. It, it was it was all done on a Worth point scoring thing for the different cam yeah. capacities and whatever else, and out of all the V8s and everything else, and all those who'd laughed at me with raced a bloody Chrysler. <laughs> 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 and to, to this day, that trophy is my favourite. Yeah, um, no, I can imagine. Yeah, that, that was pretty special. It was just through being reliable and consistent, and so I wasn't yeah. the fastest. But you have to be there to, at yeah, the end. Yeah. So uh, that's quite incredible, and that's what grassroots motorsport is all yeah. about. Eh? I, oh, I like yeah. stories like you don't. You hear you're not going to hear stories like that these days. No. 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 Oh, working in the back no. of those sheds or oh, look, and even like, the next year you know. we all went back again, and it was the sand gropers versus the crow eaters. Yeah. And there was all sorts of cartoons being done. There were <laughs> bottles of wine that Stony the cartoonist did. Their fundraisers from the other end, they, of course, you can go to any winery and get all these wines, yeah. put your own label on it. So they had this car, Stone did this cartoon of the characters of the West Australian cars and the Aussie South Australian cars on the front. I've got some at home, I'll show it to you one day. Yeah. And it shows them on the racetrack, there's smoke and clouds and the huff and puff and everything there. And the name of it was Rene Pogel Port. And it was a famous brand of wine that from one of the things but have a think of it Rene Pogel spell it backwards Rene Pogel L-E-G leg leg over oh god <laughs> that's the brand Rene Pogel Port <laughs> that's stony <laughs> You're not allowed to do that sort of stuff no, these days. No, that was on the Rego, wasn't it? it was just recently, leg opener. Oh, no, Lambo, Lam- yeah. Lamborghini, yeah. then got knocked back. Yes. yes. So anyway, that, that was just one of the little funny things, and I've still got those little things. The following year, we couldn't afford to do the transporters and all the rest of it, so we still had the fundraisers, but we decided we'd tow our own cars over. Yep. And I had a, uh, a CL318 manual charger, which was the last of the Royal yeah. V8s. And that was my everyday road car, and that was my uh, tow car. So the next year we towed the six-pack over on a big, heavy tandem trailer, and big toolboxes, a spare diff in with minus hubs, or no, it was complete, axle to axle. That could just fit into the boot of the tow car. You, you take the wheels off and you sort of wriggle it that way and that way and the, where the drain tubes are on a charger we tied it to them so it couldn't flop around oh if it had a head on it would have just come straight through the car but that didn't matter <laughs> we had toolboxes in there the race car was full of the spare wheels your jerry cans and then we had four people on board you had to have your three mates because you they all had to dob in for the fuel because they were having a holiday yeah, yeah, yeah. but they had to help so me the more people you had the, the more money you had <laughs> yeah so we'd, we'd you con all your mates to come along and share the yeah, fuel yeah. bill and uh, you, you'd leave on nothing now if anything major broke down in the nullarbor we were buggered it was oh, yeah. no it was virtually what we had in our pockets yeah yeah anyway so we would get there 
and the only time I bought booze in those days was, was on race day, and that was payment for the pit crew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was their pay, a carton of beer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'd get to Adelaide, and of course the partying went on uh, with the thems and uses, and it was a big event. We did the same with the boys here. There was always a big yeah, affair. Yeah, big. And yeah. uh, again, met some famous people at some of those events. Imagine. And, uh, anyway, we do all that, and then um, we get home in this towing the Ian Diffin. I blew the Ian Diffin car up in '82 over there. He had a cam follower broke, and and you know we caught it in time, parked it. So uh, a, I think a a bottle or two of Jim Beam disappeared that weekend, and we drowned <laughs> our sorrows. <laughs> and I never raced it again after that. I was broke. Yeah. But getting home, we were so broke that the mates had with us then, we got to about Kalgoorlie and I'd run out of money and we're all going through, who's got a credit card? And we were a bit on this one's card and a bit on that one's credit card and uh, we got home. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, but they're so, the great stories yeah. that go and, with what you do. And my mate Greg Mygro, went, and we're all the same, Greg towed his cars over, he ended up owning the Bob Jane Tirana in the end here and still runs successful sprint cars today. We all shared a house together. Greg Migro, Doug Jack, myself, we all shared a house in Nonamara. All had race cars. Yeah. Neighbours must have hated us. <laughs> we'd, we'd start cars up two and three o'clock in the morning, open exhaust, and I wumpa, wumpa. <laughs> <laughs> no one cared. And, no. Uh, but yeah, it was just really, really good fun. Was it just Adelaide? Like, did you ever have the opportunity to even just drive another car like? In, in over east or Bathurst or anything uh, like that? Not in those days, yeah. no. no. Drove to Bathurst, spectated a few times. Yep. Um, always had the dream, if I knew then what I know now, I should have just packed my bags and gone east. Yeah. Um, I, I think I could have made it. Yep. Um, I knew how to get sponsorship, but I didn't have a trade or anything to fall back on. I was a bank johnny. Yeah. Um, then I was in real estate, pardon me, after that. But... I don't know. I just the entrepreneur in me wasn't there at the time. Yeah, and it was a it was a long way from home. No support, and didn't have any money. Yeah. I spent every cent I had on race cars. Yeah. but I was an okay driver with what I had and what I'd made. And my mate Greg Migro termed it many years ago, and you've heard me use it before. We're busted ass backyard races, yeah. and nothing's changed. Yeah, no, for all of us, we had a go, and we're still doing it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. it. Yeah. Just before we finish up, one of the interesting things that I learnt about you as well, you participated twice, not once, but twice in the Fink Desert Race. Yep. Talk us through that, because that's yeah. that's um, kind of left of field. I know you, you did say you're into your motorbikes, I, I and you started, started motorbikes off with motorbikes. I and I started in motocross up there, and um, the, bike blo- the bikes were pretty unreliable, but again, having a go. Yeah. And I raced against some fantastic, famous motocross riders of the day. Graham Smythe, who went on to be multiple champion, Richie Kings, who was a multi-champion, so we'd have open events up there and all the guns from Perth would come up. Rick Gill, who's still around today yeah, and Rick, yeah. pedals cars these days, but yeah. he was an A-grade rider in his day and went road racing and a good all-rounder. Mm. And there was any number of them like that. And I was 16 in my first open event and on the track with all these guns and then did the open scrambles round back in the day, did the Harley scramble at York on Mount Brown and um, went to Collie and Northam and you know, all the yeah. tracks of the day. Yep. And then, as I when I came to Perth, that all came to an end. I went, someone introduced me to road racing. And anyway, uh, but then in when I was about 40, my oldest boy was 12, 13, and interested in motorbikes. 
So got him a little 125 motocrosser and then went to the track for the kids. And up northern they had this Greybeards racing for over 35-year-olds. It's usually dads riding their kids' bikes and whatever. I thought, I can do that. And I hadn't raced for a while because family growing up. Mm. Still loved my bike. So we got Anthony this little bike and uh, he played around on it. And um, I went out and jumped on it up at Northern. Hadn't ridden for 23 years at that stage. I did one lap of the Northern track and came in just about in tears. <laughs> the <laughs> arm pump on the arms. <laughs> and totally, no, I was always sort of fit, but yeah. motocross is in a league of its own. Yeah, it comes is, to yeah, being fit. yeah. And anyway, it, but the bug was back and it was something I could do, do with my kids and all three boys are petrol heads. I don't know where they get it from. <laughs> anyway, that got it rolling and I then continued on with getting some more suitable bikes for racing and the veterans and and then another mate uh, introduced me to cross-country events yep. where you do over four hours on a farm, 25-kilometre laps on a farm just through the bush mm. in a laid-out track. And it took a while to become bike fit, but I quite enjoyed it, you know, yeah. and, and that was really good. And Paul was a South African, and he'd done some of their big off-road events over there. And uh, Paul was a lot younger than me. He said, we're going to go and do the thing. I said, Paul, by then I'm more in my late 40s. I said, Paul, I'm 40, let me think, I was, would have been 48, I think, thereabouts, and he's about 35, and I used ex a few expletives that aren't in the dictionary and <laughs> said, no, I'm effing well 48 and you're whatever, and he said, no, 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 you're good, you can, you do it, we do the events here. So anyway, we did it. Uh, the first year I had a TC610 Husqvarna, a big 600cc single cylinder mm purpose-built bike which was pretty flash in those days except I couldn't get it around my head that you had to be 19 years old with no brains to ride it not yeah. a geriatric <laughs> but awesome motorbike very fast and uh, I would had a big big accident only about a month before and had a shirt full of broken ribs um, but I was going yeah anyway we got there drove across through the central highway camped out along the way it's June winter time cold ice on the swags at night fantastic anyway we drove over there did the event got down you get four hours to do it in uh, all your time out and you know, i just made it fell off on the way down gave the old ribs a tune up while i was at it and we got down there and you camp overnight just out in the scrub you put all your swags and stuff onto a truck and it takes it all down there and got down as did paul turned around and came back no, I finished. It was just a finish. Yeah. It was a feat. And there were 300 motorbikes, a big bunch of sidecar outfits, some quads, and about 100 buggies in those days. Mm. And uh, I did it, best event ever. And yeah, okay. I just said, I did it. I finished. And one of the top guys used to say, anyone who finishes, you get a little railway spike because it follows the old GAN railway line. Okay, yeah. And they've used all the old railway spikes and they've cleaned them up and put a little thing on there. Uh, survivor think and, mm. the, and the year so that's that's the award that's awesome mate. and so I've, I've got that <coughs> and the bike I was on was totally unsuitable extremely fast um, in a straight line we'd gear them up to do over a hundred miles an hour in the wow. dirt and the track is everything from first gear rocky snotty crap to loose um, like river sand and yeah. it's all whooped out for about the last 60 k's when you're just about bugging and then you hit these whoops yeah and that's what threw me off <laughs> anyway so that was great and i thought i've got to do this again 
but I got a more suitable bike. I uh, got a little XR400 Honda, got properly fit along and with my mate Paul and went back two years later and I was running in and out of third in the veterans, which was the over 45s category. I was never going to do better than that because the other guys were just yeah. in a different league. So uh, anyway. But even just to compete oh. at that, at that mm. level. Yeah. Well, all, all the way down, I was running in and out of third place yep. and thought, good, just pacing myself I had a huge storm came through overnight never happens first wet one in 24 years or something mm. flooded the joint all the h- helicopters were parked in the riverbed at the fink in the middle of the night they had to fire them up and get out of the riverbed wow. it flooded in no time yeah. and the track next day was a quagmire it was a two-thirds of it was underwater and all the hundred buggies went through first in the morning and at midday they start the motorbikes 300 motorbikes all us old farts are down the back and you imagine it was just a brown porridge. Yeah. And, and I timed out, but I thought, well, I've got no pit crew. You've got to keep going. Um, how am I going to get back? Yeah. So you just keep riding even though you've timed out. And then all the fuel stops were disappearing because everyone's packing up and going. And it was oh, so crap. wet. Because you can't ride at the pace you need yeah. to. So anyway, I followed the road back where all the spectators were. And I got to about where the fuel stop was. And they'd gone. And... And some of the people, what are you looking for? I need some fuel. Oh, yeah, here you go. So they tipped some fuel in, and I got back just before dark. But I, I finished, but timed out. That's incredible. <laughs> you can't do anything. No. You can't go, oh, stop it. <laughs> yeah, hey, you can't pick me up. Yeah, nah, yeah, but but that, that was in my 50th year. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And then I did a, a bit more that following year, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite incredible. I didn't like, I mean, you don't normally get people that sort of tie in quite heavily with both motorbikes and cars. I know there's people who have done it before, yeah. but the Fink, when I saw that, I was like, hang on a sec, the Fink Desert Rally. I said, that's a pretty, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good. Doing motorbikes and off-road, you got to do it. Yeah. Be fit, get fit. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, that's right. And I could, I mean, I certainly, I could never do it. I could certainly never do it. Mm-hmm. Craig, I think, well, I mean, I don't know if you had any, no, any I more... I feel I've, I've stolen the floor. No, <laughs> no, no, it's no that's the whole mate. idea. That's, that's the whole idea. That's no. what we prefer. It. It's um, it's it's great to look. We really appreciate you coming on, Craig. It's been a, no, it's been an honour to have you here. I am a big fan of of what you've done. I'm a big fan of Group C cars. I'm a big fan of sports sedan. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a big fan of the cries, though, uh, the mark, but I, I, my father, he's, when I was born, that's what he had. He had a Valiant, VC Valiant. That's why I said I know right. that car really yep. well. I'd love to find that car one day, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, that's... But that's Tim your will find it for you. Yeah, I <laughs> I can give you the red joke. Um, but that's, that's, the whole, that's, the, that's the whole reason why we wanted to have you on, because that's of, of great interest to me, and I know it's a great interest to many of our listeners as well especially stories like what you just told yeah. us especially about the, the the car carrier and the bus that's yep. th- that is stuff that's you just don't hear of today well just to finish off my last excursion i did with an old toyota coaster bus <laughs> so it was a two thousand dollar bomb that i bought had to redo change the engine turn it into a camper bus had to have a new trailer made and towed it across on my own and did five events over east with the historics, yeah. including Bathurst in the wet. Slop, yep. Slopped around, it was awful. The car didn't behave itself, but the experience, that was yeah. something else on the people and just, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These, these are the sort of stories that, and this is the whole idea of the podcast, is we want to hear these stories. Yeah. We want to hear all about yeah. the things that you've done and I think they're amazing. And restoring these cars and bringing the Ian Diffin car that's of, that's of, 
being interest to a lot of our uh, listeners. The car you own now, um, Doug Jack's old car, that's of great interest to our listeners. And I think what you've done in your lifetime is amazing. And I, uh, it's it's really great to have you and on see, here. I, think of, I always think of, oh, I've never quite got there now. Um, no, I disagree. Yeah, I, I just, if, I, if I've I, done like... If I did a fraction yeah, of what you've done, I'd be I would have been happy. Yeah. But I, <laughs> just I, I, I just feel like I should have done more, you yeah. know, and uh, I have I a think go. you should have gone east, that's what I think oh, you should have done. Yeah, <laughs> I, but look, I, I've done okay, no, no. and I've done other things in my life too, you know. I've, yeah, for sure. And now I've, I've got three great kids, so I've already... But you still show the car mm. as well, like that's one important yeah. thing, like you were just that, um, and that's how, you know, I, I actually... Got to meet you yes. um, in person yeah. there. You know, well, see, that's that other race where you had the car, both cars were there yep. side by side, and uh, you were very welcoming to myself and to anyone that come and had a look and at the car to get I've up and close and personal. So and I've done that all my life. Yeah. You know, when through doing car displays and passionate about the sport, whether it's cars, motorbikes, whoever else, I've always been on committees, helped build half Wanneroo back in the day. Um, it's just what you do. You're part of a yeah. club and you talk to people. And yeah. when we go on the East Coast, I did a few car shows over there. We did the Midwest, uh, sorry, the Central Coast Wake Run. They invited me to that. And, you know, I had to drive two hours north of where I was on the rotten freeways over there and all the rest. And you just talk to people. And, mm. and everywhere you go, Bathurst, we'd get the car out of the tent to start it up. It was raining. It was horrible. You're under the bonnet, vroom, 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 warming it up. And you look up, and there's six deep all around the car. Yeah. No, just... The young ones have never seen anything like it. I know, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's that's yeah. they haven't, and that's what it's what it's important what you're yeah. doing because uh, it's educating and, them. And, and one of the things that if people want to see it, it ended up in the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst for six months. Um, they said, please don't take it home, and they put it in the prime spot, their number one spot. It's the only Group C Charger in Australia, or, or documented one. I already know. So yeah, it did a time. It did time yeah, in after oh, Bathurst. Wow. The, the uh, coordinator there recently, came over. Yeah. That was just oh, recently. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I was at Bathurst for supercars yeah. last year. You know, it was wet, it was horrible. Um, but he came over and he knew the car, had seen the write-ups in the magazines and everything. He said, what are you doing with it now? I said, we're going home, we're broke, it's all over. The, you know, the journey's finished. He said, please don't take it. No, we want it in the museum. And he said, there's no nice racing charges around, or not many that they can have. I said, oh, I can't afford it, I can't afford to come back. No, no, we'll look after you. So I left it with them. I spent all race day, supercar race day, in the tent detailing it because it had been on the track in the wet. It was, oh, disgusting. So that was my Bathurst race day, detailing it up. How awesome is that? And then, because you have to drive on the, ma- on the road out of the track, well, the track yeah. is a, a, a public road, and you've got to drive down and around around about outside the track and then up to where the museum is car's unregistered should have got a permit and I'm not going to load it up on the trailer and just go <laughs> <laughs> so I just went around the museum made sure they're ready for it fired it up on the Monday morning and drove it around the track <laughs> or not drove it around on the road and yeah. into the museum and Brad they videoed it coming up the street and driving into the museum <laughs> this, this is why when I went to see the car I'd seen it because I'd seen footage of it yeah, okay. You know, yeah. Post um, on yeah. Facebook. And yeah. That's why when I went to Bonnaroo, I was just drawn to it. You know. And yeah. then he goes, Oh, you can, you can. I said, Look, I've seen videos. I've seen. I just haven't seen it in person yet. Yeah. It's the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's going to go into the museum here very soon. They're just waiting as they turn the displays over. 
Oh, so Whiteland Park? At Whiteland yep. Park. So if people want to see it, it will be at well, Whiteland Park. Well, I look forward to seeing it there, yeah. Whiteland um, Park. Uh, shout out to all the team at Whiteland Park. They do a magnificent mm. job there. That's yep. uh, So it'll go out there for a period of time. I don't know how long, but it's up to them. Yeah. But at Bathurst, they wanted it forever, but it's... And they put, I think I told you, they put it in the prime spot. When you walk in the front door, mm. it was in the number one spot. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. were just wrapped in it. So that's awesome. That's not bad for a little old oh back yeah. backyard <laughs> racer <laughs> from WA. You do anyway. take that. That's awesome. Anyway, I yeah. could dribble on forever. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, we really appreciate you coming in uh, for this podcast. It's been awesome having you here. It's, I've really enjoyed this. I know, I know, I think you have as well. Yeah, yeah. Kim, thank you very much. No yeah. I really appreciate, I know you... you listened. Yeah, but no, but I mean, I know you helped us out with the research as well because I wouldn't have been able to get through all yeah, of that. Definitely. Kim narrowed it down, sent us articles yeah. that were relevant, and yeah. uh, that's where we did our research. So yeah. thank you for that, Kim, yeah, as well. Problems. I know you're heavily involved with the club as well. I know you're the official photographer, so, or one of the official photographers. They do a magnificent job, so thank you to Kim as well. No problems, thank you. Yeah. But now, if people are out and about, if they see us on now, the cars on display, it'll be at the Chrysler show later this year. Yep. Um, don't be scared to come up and have a chat. Yeah, no, definitely. And definitely. I do believe the indifferent charger is uh, due to be fired up for the first time in, I don't know, maybe 10 years or more at the Chrysler show in October. Oh, awesome. Oh, well, awesome. we're going to have to... When, so when's that? It's uh, 22nd of October at um, yeah. it's <coughs> Claremont Showgrounds. Doesn't conflict of, it wouldn't conflict of all four days no, long, is no, it? No, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Maybe we'll That's be down for that one as well. Yeah, no, I'd like to be there for that. I would definitely like to be there. Yeah, and yeah. Just, I have seen the Ian Diffin car a few times now at yeah. shows, mm. but it would be nice to, to see that again and, yeah. and hear yeah, it fired up as well. It's been well. cleaned up drastically yeah, the, last, exactly. the last five or yeah. six months, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's looking as doing this work in progress. Yes, he, he'll eventually have it looking how it should look. Yeah. yeah. He's, um, I think Jake Reprovic's going to get the engine running. Yep. And I've been down a few times and just pointed out a few little bits and pieces on it. Um, it's a shame I live so far away from him. But yeah. Otherwise, I'd happily go down there and do a bit of work. But I'm in the middle of uh, renovating an old house at the moment, <laughs> so I don't have enough things to do. Yeah, no, nah, fair <laughs> enough. No, that's fair and, enough. And fixing my bus, which a big Roo had an argument with on the on the last trip across. I saw that photo, actually. <laughs> I saw that, uh, yes. That's what I've been doing today. I've been at yeah. the wreckers today, cutting the front off a bloody Toyota bus to fix it. It's pretty bad, that, that oh, hit. Yeah. I had $19,000 worth of damage. Yeah. 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 So insurance nasty. is not going to fix it. So yeah. um, I write it off, so I've kept it. And, yeah. uh, I have to fix it. They're yeah. all fixable, but... Um, yeah. No one's going to pay nineteen thousand dollars to. So yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I'm it. <laughs> no. All right, Craig. Well, look, thank you very much, Kim. Thank you very thank much, you. Johnny. Thank you very much as no, well for hosting good. us tonight. It's great no, to be here, and, um, and different. Thanks for everyone for watching as well. If you're listening to us, make sure you go back and watch it as well. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah. All right, thank thanks, you. guys. Thank thanks you. a lot. Thank you.